Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. Did you miss me? It's been at least a month. Smart guy would have looked that up. The last one we did was with Dave Brown the week that everything, the week before everything ground to a halt. Now, you would think this is the perfect time to record podcasts. Everybody's got lots of free time. All of our exciting celebrity guests are trapped at home with nothing to do. Everyone has learned how to either use Google Hangouts, Microsoft Teams, Zoom, Zippy, Koala Chat, <laughs> whatever they all are called. I don't know. So, you would, so you're at home right now listening to the podcast. You can't listen to podcasts in your car unless you go out. Here's some advice. If you're going to listen to podcasts in your car, uh, don't leave the car running in the garage. Just, just trust me. This is from a guy who <laughs> we found out uh, we had to get a new furnace on Monday. Great time to do it. Because um, the old one, leaking just a little bit of carbon monoxide into the house. <laughs> which apparently is not good for you. Although I'd really been sleeping well. So, uh, anyway, got that taken care of. Uh, so, uh, let me run down the list of uh, of guests on the show today. Uh, Muffet McGraw from Notre Dame, who just uh, retired as women's basketball coach, uh, was not available. Uh, can't get Muffet. Uh, Ryan Pace is going to be on to do a preview of the Bears draft, and uh, he he declined. Um, I could have asked Matthew McConaughey. He probably would have done it, uh, but I didn't. So actually, there are no guests on this one, and uh, I do plan to get back in the in the habit of doing the regular podcast. And I was I was going to see if if Kyle and Sam wanted to do it tonight, and um, actually this week, and all of a sudden I realized. I'm having the same uh, calendar displacement that everyone else is. I realized today, I'm like, it's Wednesday, and the draft is tomorrow. There's actually something to watch. Uh, I don't have time to get guys ready for a podcast tonight, so I thought, you know what, I'll just do a quick one, and then we'll get guys scheduled. Um, so anyway, I, I jotted down some topics that I wanted to talk about. I actually did a little prep, which is new for me. And... Uh, so I've got a few things I want to talk about. It's going to be just me. Uh, we're really, I mean, let's, it's, it's just you and me. We can be honest. I'm the only reason you listen to this podcast. So we don't need the other stuff. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, baseball's many plans to return. Um, I have to, it's in my contract with myself that I make fun of Marquee every t- chance I get. I'm going to do that. I'll talk about the NFL draft. Um, I'm going to talk about college football. Uh, the NBA and their—they've um, been very quiet now about their plans to return. Uh, a little bit on the Last Dance, and uh, then I have a—I um, have a streaming recommendation for you. I think a really good one and an easy one to plow through. Uh, you're home. You've got time. And then um, talk about a little bit what's coming up on the newsletter um, the next few days. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about baseball. So, I don't know, what, a couple of weeks ago, Ken Rosenrose from The Athletic um, had the plan that they were going to put all the teams in Arizona, uh, put them all in one big hotel, actually, probably probably not all in one big hotel, put all the players in a hotel, sequester them, test them for uh, the coronavirus, uh, that part I'm not clear, every 20 minutes, something like that, does that seem feasible? No. 
every couple of days, give them a test, take their temperature a lot, hopefully orally. Although some of the guys, like Ryan Braun maybe, may suggest a different orifice to be tested in. Um, and immediately people started poo-pooing it. My favorite reason that they said this wouldn't work is, and you're still hearing some of it, players wouldn't want to be away from their families for four and a half months. <laughs> uh, okay, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also funny how, you know, we have no problem bringing the guys over from Japan, uh, the Latin American countries, um, many of whom don't, their families don't come with for from spring training through the World Series, like eight months. That's okay. But uh, a four-month stint with you out playing baseball every day in America's cat box in Arizona, apparently that's a deal breaker. And I could see how it could be. But I've got an idea for at least how one cub could make it happen. But then we got the plan. Uh, Bob Nightingale had a plan. So we know this is wrong because it's Bob. That um, the f- teams who have spring training sites based in Florida were not crazy about, although they are crazy. If you're in, if you have a choice between Florida for spring training and Arizona, and you pick Florida, you are nuts. Um, they weren't crazy about the idea of having to go to Arizona and share facilities with other teams, so they came up with this idea. Let's do. Well, we'll just have the Cactus League and the Grapefruit League. And those will be the two leagues for the year. And then the winners of those leagues will play in the World Series. Now, logistically, Florida is a much bigger pain in the ass than Arizona. Not just because it seems to be second only to New York as America's COVID-19 Petri dish, um, but also because the, the advantage of... Arizona plan is that all the facilities there are right around uh, Phoenix or Pahonix. I've heard it both ways. And so very little travel. In Florida, they're all over the place in that state. And so it adds a lot of travel and a lot of it's bus travel, which you know (laughs) big leaguers are going to love that. Um, So the, the, the part of it that appealed to me was that the Cardinals are in Florida. And it'd be like a year off of having to deal with those assholes. Um, let, let Yachty get attacked by a gator or whatever's going on over there. And I could use a year off from them. I mean, sure, I enjoy when the Cubs beat them. But th- otherwise, they're exhausting. And, you know, uh, let the Astros have them again or the Red Sox for a full year. The Yankees, they can deal with the Cardinals. Uh, the Cubs can uh, futz around with the Royals and um, and whoever else. The, the thing that was really weird about it, though, was they, they did the divisions <laughs> geographically you know, within the state, which was ridiculous for Arizona because it's they're all basically in the same strip mall. It's just what end of the strip mall your facility's in. And so they had, <laughs> here they had a chance. They had the Cubs, the White Sox, the Indians, the Brewers, the Reds, um, all in Arizona. That seems like that would be kind of a cool division. 
have the two Ohio teams, the two Illinois teams, and then the Brewers, the third, you know, the uh, the team of the northern suburbs of Chicago. Um, have them all in one division? No, they didn't. They didn't do that. They had the Cubs were in a division with like um, the Royals and the Mariners. The White Sox got put in the division with the Dodgers, which was great. And the or no, wait, did I, you know? Here, smart guy would have pulled this up. The maybe the Brewers got the Royals and the Mar- Brewers got the worst division. The Brewers are bad this year. They just are. They they've been somehow winning with Christian Yelich and a bunch of other crap. And the other crap this year is even worse than it's been the last couple of years. And if that plan goes through, they get the advantage of beating up on just other terrible teams. Um, so a few other things. About, oh, and then now there's a third plan. This, I don't understand how this would work. But there's a third plan. Texas has big-footed their way into the discussion. So a third of the teams would be in Florida third of the teams would be in Texas. A third of the teams would be in Arizona. It seems like the Cubs would be in Arizona. still seems like the Cardinals would be in Florida. I'm not sure who goes to Texas. Um, the Rangers and the Astros, I would guess. Um, but I don't know who else. And the idea is Texas has um, dome stadiums in Houston and whatever part of the Metroplex the Arlington is. Uh, there's two dome stadiums in Florida in uh, Miami and St. Pete. And then there's uh, the one dome stadium in Arizona. And if you divide them into thirds, somehow this is going to work better. Um, And I'm not sure how they would do that. And I didn't... Yeah, I read it. I'm not sure how they were going to divvy all that stuff up. That one seems... I don't know why we need Texas in this at all. So, screw that one. But if... Some of the things that if they do it, and they're going to do, it's I shouldn't even say if, at some point they're going to do one of these three plans, because the owners want their TV money, and the players don't want to go a whole season without getting paid, so um, they're going to do one they're going to do one of these plans, and so some of the things they're going to they're going to do some innovative things or things they think are innovative. Um, because you'll have a jumble of American and National League teams, you're just going to have a DH in every game, which normally would annoy me to no end. And I'll tell you this, when the DH comes in for this um, half-assed half-season of quarantine baseball, it's never going away. So we've seen our last big league games without a DH. Um, I guess it would have been game five of the World Series in Washington. That's the last time a pitcher's going to bat, at least. Uh, well, except for when a manager somehow, when Dusty fucks up the lineup and he loses the DH in the game, and then his pitchers will have to bat. Um, it, it's over. Because the, they're going to use the DH for their little half season whenever they play it this year, and they're not going to get rid of it. The other thing that may not stick, but at some point it's coming, is they're going to use the electronic strike zone for these games because they don't want the sweaty umpires looming over the catcher and breathing on them. Um, if Unless it's a abominable failure, and I don't know how it's going to be. I can't imagine it's, it's really going to be... I can't imagine it's going to be bad. Um, that very well could be there to stay, too. Honestly, all those people who 
clutch their pearls and whine about the human element and how you know they love it. I, I the way umpires call balls, balls and strikes are so ridiculous that I'm glad for anything. I would be cool if they simply had the catcher had to hold a garbage can with the opening facing the pitcher, and if the pitcher hit the got the ball into the garbage can. <laughs> It was a strike, and if he misses the garbage can, the ball. I'd be fine for that for these games. Uh, I just I do not want to see uh, Eric Cooper ever get to call an actual pitch ever again. So I'm fine with it. So <clears throat> one of the other things that's been kicked around is this idea that okay, you know, it's already today's the 22nd of April. You're going to hear this on the 23rd, I would guess, and. They're not in spring training, so they're going to have to get themselves in shape. Although, guys, you're going to like this. Scott Boris today on CNBC, and that's where you go for your sports news, said uh, his guys would be ready. <laughs> his guys. Uh, he didn't worry about anybody else. His guys would be ready. They're cool with it. They, they're ready to be quarantined. What he's basically saying is we want our money, so let's do it. Um, so the idea would be that maybe the pitchers and catchers show up a few days early, they get a few workouts in, then the position players come in, go, I don't know, maybe two weeks, two and a half weeks after the position players come in. Start your half-assed season with expanded rosters so that pitchers aren't expected to go deep uh, and start playing that way, and then just pile up the body. <laughs> Pile up the arms. Those guys all get hurt. Um, so I would guess, say they can somehow start this in uh, by the second week of May. Then you're probably looking at a roughly a Memorial Day start. Um, probably a 100-game season. And then where it gets interesting is if you do the... If you do everybody in Arizona, I guess the idea is you, you basically would still have the National American Leagues. Because everybody's there. So you just play it out like a normal season. If you do the Florida-Arizona thing, then you've got the Cactus League and the um, Grapefruit League. But if you throw in the weird Texas thing, now you've got three locations. Um, One of the things they've talked about, no matter where this season is played, is the idea that you would have... uh, They they, they kicked around that idea of expanded playoffs. Um, adding a couple of wildcard teams, two, one, two, three, four, five, yeah, adding two wildcard teams, so you have seven playoff teams in each league, team with the best record sits out the first round, the other three, the three division winners each get a wildcard team, um, team, the wildcard, the division winner with the best record gets to pick the, who they want to play, team with the second best division record gets to pick of the two remaining, and then the the division winner with the worst record gets whoever's left. Um, so you play that. Then the the surviving team with the worst, I guess the surviving, it must just be the surviving team with the worst record gets the number one seed, and then you go from there. And the idea is that first round, that wild card round, would be two out of three. And then the LCS and the World Series would go back to, would be the normal best four out of seven. So how can you do that if you have three sites? Well, this is where I think it would get... Except for this for this one season, why not just do this? Just pick 14 playoff teams. Just seed them 1 through 14. If you want to go with the, 
you know, if you want everybody to make the freaking playoffs like they seem to want to this year, instead of having two leagues of seven, um, 14 make it. Teams with the two best records get a bye in the first round, and then you just seed everybody by record then and start playing this thing and do the same thing. Um, two out of three wildcard rounds, and it's this is irrespective of league. Then you're just going to take them by records, you're going to reseed, and then you're going to start playing, and then you're going to end up with the top two seeds on opposite ends of the bracket playing their way towards the World Series, which could have uh, an otherwise impossible matchup. You know, it could be... Uh, it, you know, the World Series could be the Cubs and the Cardinals. It wouldn't be, because the Cardinals are... You know, I, I couldn't have that. Unless the Cubs were going to win, then I would love that. Um, so I don't, know why we, I don't know why you couldn't do that. And, you know, this this whole season's going to be kind of a farce, a farce that I will watch every minute of, and mostly enjoy, I think. Uh, so go all the way. So I actually think that could be pretty cool. Now, one of the things we've heard about is um, until you can somehow keep the, f- the players with their families, um, this isn't going to work. Like, you, I've heard people say you cannot expect Chris Bryant, whose wife just had a baby. Jessica just had a baby, and it's they named it Kyler. Oh, God. Um, you can't expect Chris, who's a brand new father for the first time, to just pack up and, you know, only get to see Kyler when Jessica, you know, holds the baby up to the laptop on Zoom. You're going to have to find a way to somehow quarantine the families and the players. Now, given the fact that nobody in Arizona, uh, no hotel room in Arizona has anybody in it, unless it's a COVID-19 patient, honestly, there's probably enough room, especially if you do the three sites. You probably could easily accommodate that. I got news for you. Some of the players would not be real excited about that. <laughs> I mean, think about it. How would you like uh, last year? Well, let's put the Zobras in one room. <laughs> and then after a week, they're like, yeah, this is not going to work. Um... But I've come up with a with a if they can do that, you know, then we don't have to worry about Chris playing. But I've came up with a great solution um, for how Chris can spend more time with Kyler than even he would be able to if this was a normal season. The Cubs should just make Kyler the bat boy. He can't be that much younger than Darren Baker was in the 2002 World Series. Um, is he was in a stroller, right? Wasn't he in one of those, the little things, the little saucer things that you put the kid in and then if his feet can barely touch the ground, it can like move its way around the house. I remember him waddling out while the ball was in play and JT Snow having to grab that little saucer thing and wheel it out of the way. So I don't know why this wouldn't work. So I think to me, that's a, it's a perfect idea. Uh, the other one of my ideas that I got while I was watching Tiger King, um, apparently can't happen. And that was instead of bat boys, bat tigers you could get well, i don't know what the siegfried and roy tigers do now that they're retired but it seems like you ought to be able to train them to go retrieve a bat unfortunately that idea was all shot to hell when i found out that tigers can get the coronavirus so the two people who really have to worry about it the most i think are the siegfried and roy tigers and miguel cabrera but right, we'll see um, and then today I found out from, uh, uh, epidemiologist, actually, no, it's my wife, uh, who's not an epidemiologist, 
she told me that so in our backyard um our our fence in our yard is actually made up this is great moved into a house that our backyard is completely fenced in it's fenced in using just the fences of the neighbors behind us and on each side it's great uh one corner though has uh one of the fences is chain link and the house kitty corner from us has three dogs and we have four which is ridiculous but that's fine and any time the dogs are out, they all mill around in that one corner and bark at each other and act tough. And she told me that I have to block that corner off now because <laughs> pets apparently, they can't catch the coronavirus, but they can transmit it. So she's worried that our dogs are going to get the coronavirus from the dogs in the other corner. I think that's bullshit. I think she just wants me to like put an, a more attractive fencing in that corner. But just in case. So anyway, we will find out, I guess, relatively soon, in the next few weeks, which, you know, days seem to drag on forever these days, when baseball is going to come back. I would be stunned if it doesn't come back at some time, and we have some semblance of a season, and like I said, it's going to be a sham, it's going to be a Travis sham mockery, uh, and I'm here for it, because i got nothing better to do. I want to watch some baseball. And um, I don't mind there won't be fans there. I just want to see something. And I'd like to be able to bet on something. Uh, Bovada won't let me bet on the weather anymore. Um, I could have bet on the last dance. And I should have. Um, but I didn't. Some things I knew were going to happen. Like you could get... I think it was one to two odds. Not two to one. But it's money. That they would show... In the first two episodes, they would show Michael Jordan's game-winning shot at North Carolina against Georgetown. And of course that was going to happen. I could have bet on that, but I didn't. So we'll see what happens. So tangentially related to baseball, (laughs) our friends at the Marquee Sports Network. Um, As I record this, uh, they're showing a three-home run game from 1996. Sammy's Sammy's first ever three-home run game. uh, He just hit his first one off of uh, our old friend Terry Mulholland who, it turns out, um, um, without his goatee, looks like um, Russell Hammond from Almost Famous. Um, why can't I think of the actor's name? But that's what he looks like. Um, they're struggling with picking... They, have the, they supposedly have the entire library of Cub baseball games to pick from. And they have... They're really struggling picking games. The The most egregious failure on their part was um, they showed the Greg Maddox 300th win. That game is one of the least enjoyable Greg Maddox performances to watch because he only pitches five innings in it. He gets in trouble in the sixth. He, gets, he acts like his arm hurts in the fifth, and then he comes out in the sixth. And then it's just a it's the running stooges of the 2004 bullpen. Um, you know, you get... Kent Merker pitches, and that's anyway. You don't. You just don't need to watch that. There's plenty of cool Greg Maddox games that they could show, and this is you know that's one that they picked. And this, I don't ever need to see a game from the '96 Cubs. It's and this is the second one they've showed. They showed the opening day game <clears throat> where Grace wins it with a walk-off hit. I mean, you're watching Ryan Sandberg. This is when the year he decided to just come back and screw up the Cubs' chances to sign Craig Biggio. And he's awful. I don't need to see that. Show me some vintage Ryan. I don't need to see uh, 
1996. But one of the things that they're doing now, <clears throat> there was a, a shocking lack of original programming when the network launched. They were really just, they got lazy and somebody's like, well, screw it, we got all these spring training games and then once the games start, we got all this stuff. Well, then of course, spring training gets ends early and then there are no games and they're scrambling for their own content. So a couple of... <sighs> Three shows have debuted recently. Uh, the Cubs 360 Daily, which is their panel show, hosted by Cole Wright, um, is, it's terrible. I mean, I, even when they have Jim Deshays or Len Casper on, who are good at everything, the show sucks. Um, a big part of it is because they have yet to be able to assemble a panel of four sentient humans. Um, Pete McMurray has already done it a few times. Like, why? I remember when Pete was in here in Rockford on the X, and I didn't need to hear his thoughts on anything, and I certainly don't need to hear his thoughts on the Cubs. Um, Frickin' Spiegel was on the other day. I don't know why they ever need to do that. And then the, 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 the absolute cake yesterday, on I guess that was Tuesday, George fucking Will was on. I was like, oh, come on. Um, but there are problems even beyond that. I think it's hard to do a show that remote when the host has, hasn't built up any kind of rapport yet with the guests. Um, Cole's kind of struggling. And I think a lot of it is that there's a, there's weird delays. There's always weird delays when you talk to Bruce Levine anyway. Um, even if he's in the same room with you, there's a, he's operating on a little bit of a delay. Um, he doesn't really know any of these people yet, and so everything's kind of awkward. And then the topics they pick are... Like, they've been kicking around for the last couple of days, the Cubs' all-time team. And topic number one was, uh, Ernie made it as the shortstop, should he have made it as the first baseman? Well, No. He was old and hunched over when he moved to first base. He made the Hall of Fame because he was, you know, he was the first shortstop to hit 40 home runs and did it twice in a row, won two MVPs on terrible teams, last place teams. Um, and so he asked that question to all the panelists, and they immediately say no. And then it's like, okay, well, this was supposed to take four minutes, guys. <laughs> and it just took four seconds. It's just not going to work. Um, maybe that show shouldn't be daily with nothing going on, uh, but they're struggling. Uh, one show that is actually not bad is uh, the show called Stay at Home Trivia with Chris Myers. They've only had a couple episodes. They had one, um, Len Casper went up against Bruce, and then the one they just showed tonight, um, Dan Plesak and Carlos Pena were on it, and Chris Myers is good, and it's trivia. You can't really screw it up. Uh, it does not have a shirtless Dave Kaplan um, handing out $100 bills. So that's already, um, that's a bonus. Uh, so that show's fine. Uh, I think the idea is it's only going to be on until this ends. So, you know, three years. <laughs> uh, but that show's fine. And then the show that I, I devoted in the first 40% of my newsletter to on Monday, um, is one that I probably, for a comedy's sake, my own comedy, not his, should watch every week and break down. But 
but I don't know that I can do it, is uh, Off the Mound with Ryan Dempster. I went in with very low expectations, and uh, it didn't meet any of them. It's he, he was doing these weird pitching tutorials a couple of weeks ago. Drills that you know young baseball pitchers could do in their in their home, which is fine. That's a noble idea. But I was struck by the fact that he was wearing a T-shirt that was at least one size too small, probably two. And so his his little fake talk show debuted last week. And you would expect, you know, put a polo shirt on. Hey, go nuts, put a dress shirt on. Yeah, some with a collar. No. He's wearing a Smedium uh, T-shirt and showing it's just because it's too small, it's showing too much of his arms, which are not, you know, all that impressive, and the bottoms of some very bad tattoos. And he doesn't know, he doesn't know where to put the laptop, so it's shooting up at him and you're just getting a nice shot of his sinuses most of the time. Honestly, he may have done it on purpose. You couldn't tell that he doesn't have any hair. But we already we know that, so there's no reason to hide that. Um, and then it turns out he's in, like, a vacation house in Wisconsin. <laughs> Great place to go to be quarantined. Um, and so the, the background is, I don't know if he's on a screen porch, but it's, it's light wood. It, I honestly thought he was in a sauna uh, when I first saw it. And then he has a, a propeller from an outboard motor just nailed to the wall behind him. It's the only thing on the wall. Uh, so even when you see that, you immediately go, this is not... I'm going to put about as much time into this as you did, which is none. You know, I've seen the effort. Uh, he had Mike Trout on as his first guest, and I couldn't figure out why, and it turns out they share an agent. So Mike, I guess, had to do it as a favor to his agent. Uh, then he had Rizzo on, and, you know, Anthony is... Anthony doesn't need a host. You could just point the camera at him for 15 minutes, and he could fill it. So that was fine. Um, but that show's not good. And at least in the early going, he's going to get a good guess. He's got... Uh, Greggy is going to be on this week, and Derek Lee. They should both be fine. But he's he falls into the... I'm going to make fun of Bill Simmons a couple of times on this. Um, he has the Bill Simmons... Um, style of interviewing, which is he doesn't always actually ask a question. Sometimes he's just talking and he stops. And the the interview subject is then supposed to know that he's they're supposed to comment on what he said. Uh, he's actually... I said in the thing I wrote on Monday that he's not as good as Simmons, but actually I think he's, I think he's better. That's not a lot of praise because Bill has this weird thing where he just says yes a lot. That's he fills silences with yes. And Dempster doesn't even do that. So that's that's something in his favor. But it's not good. And um, I guess good news? For those of us who have DirecTV, uh, it was frustrating early on. DirecTV couldn't be bothered to actually flip the switch so that you it so that you could use the marquee app and watch what was on it, it it couldn't reconcile the fact that you were you were an actual subscriber and sometime over the last couple of weeks they turned that on there's nothing to actually watch but if you wanted to now you can watch it on an app on Roku or I think Amazon no yeah maybe on the fire stick but certainly on your phone or your laptop or whatever 
So if you have DirecTV and you have Marquee, you can do that now. Very exciting. Not that you're going to want to. Um, I do the things I find myself actually watching on the network are uh, the Veasan stuff. They show um, during the week. They show follow the money, which is the show with uh, Mitch Moss and Paulie Howard, and then the the guy I can never remember his name. He used to be a sports writer. He may have worked with the great George Castle at the Times of Northwest Indiana. Um, he's fine, but I can't remember his name. But it's, it cracks me up because he's actually in the casino. He's always the other guys are at home, and this guy's sitting in the casino. I mean, he may very well live at the South Point uh, in Vegas, but he apparently goes down and actually uses the set. There's nobody in the hotel, or there's a, certainly nobody in the casino. But he goes down there and he does his show there. Uh, that show is actually pretty good. They show three hours of it in the morning, and then they show sometimes the schedule also is never right. Is never the same, and the guide data is never right. So that's also that's a lot of fun if you're just trying to find something. They do like a one hour best of, and then on the weekends for two hours on Saturday and Sunday, I guess that's when the weekends are. Uh, you get the Lombardi line with Mike Lombardi, which I watch just for a couple of reasons. Um, I think Mike Lombardi is a complete dope, and I had I. I really enjoyed making fun of him a lot. And then I was at the athletic and he got hired at the athletic and I stopped making fun of him for a while. But then when the athletic decided they didn't want to pay me anymore, I was more than happy to go back to making fun of Mike Lombardi again. I wasn't doing it, um, out of deference to him. I was doing it out of respect to John Greenberg and the athletic. Uh, he's a moron. And the thing that really bothers me about him on this show, because he's, he's at home like everybody else is he can never be troubled in the morning to comb his hair. <laughs> it's like, come on. And he sits in front of these, <clears throat> you know, you, you get distracted by everybody's backgrounds. You know, most people are in front of bookcases or some people put like a, a fancy graphic up on a on their TV to make it look like they're in a studio and they have a big monitor behind them. Um, he's got these cheap, they're not even, I was going to say Ikea bookshelves, they're not. Ikea would, Ikea wouldn't sell this shit. It's so bad. Um, it's like these terrible things that you would have bought when I was a kid. You could get them at, like, uh, Prangy Way. <laughs> I don't know if anybody remembers Prangy Way. Um, uh, what was the thing? Venture. It was the thing. Before there was Target, there was Venture. This is where you would have bought these things. These cheap bookcases they put together himself. And he's got two of them. And he just got them pressed up against each other. You know, you would think somebody could take 10 minutes and maybe put a little trim around them to make it look like they're one piece of actual furniture if you're going to be on fucking TV twice a week. Um, but he didn't do that. But the thing that make, that proves to me he's a psycho is he's got, he has this terrible taste in books. And he has his own book propped up there, which I did read, and it's just, it's terrible. Um, the books, the, everybody... If you go to a library, if you go to anybody's house, if you go to your house, if you look at the bookshelf, everybody takes their books and they put them so that the spine, the writing on the spine, all go in the same direction. Oh, not Mike Lombardi. They're going up. They're going down. It's just... It, and he takes the dust jackets off of all of them. He thinks that makes them look fancier. Um, but, you know, when it's... Uh, the, I don't know how you can class up, you know, the the little train that could, or whatever it's called, you know, by taking the dust jacket off, it's not going to help. 
Um, so I thought that was the worst I was going to see until I tuned in. I was flipping around and I saw the very beginning of the WNBA draft last week. And the commissioner of WNBA drafts doing the picks from her home, just like Roger Goodell is going to do tomorrow. And all the books, she was sitting in front of bookcases, all of her books were turned so that you could only saw the pages. The spines were all facing the back. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Now, clearly they did it because there's got to be a lot of like, um, they had to be like all romance novels or something or V.C. Andrews books. Um, and they're like, oh God, people can't see what you read. So they flipped them all around. But that was just crazy. All right, so make an excellent segue now into the NFL draft, um, which is going to be on Thursday night, Friday night, and then Saturday. I don't believe any of it bleeds over into Sunday, although, honestly, since ESPN and the NFL Network have nothing else to show, they might as well. <laughs> you might as well just do a round a day for seven days and just fill it all up. Um, but I believe it's round one. I know it's round one tomorrow, Thursday. I shouldn't say tomorrow because most of you aren't going to hear this until Thursday. So Thursday is round one. Friday, I think, is rounds two and three. And then I think four through seven are on Saturday. Um, and it's been ridiculous to hear the teams bitching about having to do the draft virtually. I mean, I know, I know not all football guys are all that tech-savvy. But that's not the reason they're bitching. I mean, they're like, oh, what if, it, what if my uh, interrupts connection goes down and I can't get the, uh, the left tackle from Appalachian State? That's not really what they're worried about. What they're worried about is this is going to poke a hole in the veneer of their complete bullshit idea that they have to like break down tape for 18 hours a day for four months, and they have to sit in a war room with 40 guys, and they have to do all this shit. They don't need to do that. They overthink everything. That kind of mentality is how you end up trading up to get Mitch Trubisky in the first round of a draft when nobody else was going to take him in the top 15. But you convinced yourself that he was good when he wasn't, and you convinced yourself that everybody wanted to come up and get him when nobody did. That's that weird kind of group thing. So you've got these weird stories like um, the GM of the Lions is so worried that something's going to happen with his technology that he's the director of IT for the Lions is going gonna, is gonna to sit in a camper parked in the guy's driveway for all three days of the draft so he can be immediately on call if he needs to run in and unplug and plug back in the router because the Wi-Fi dropped. Um... And then Adam Schefter, who's just a weasel, broke the story and broke the 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 IT guy will be allowed to draw, to go home at night between drafts. I would fucking hope so. <laughs> I would think that the you know there's there's like sixteen hours between round one and round two. I would think the guy can go home and get some sleep. I don't think he has to. And the thing I wanted to know is is anybody else in the camper with him? And if so, is there a rule about pooping in the camper? Because it really, you shouldn't be shouldn't be crapping in an RV if there's anybody else in that RV. Um, Chefsy didn't have that scoop. Scoop seems like a bad choice of words too. Now that I say it. Um, but to me, maybe it's all show. I mean, if I was a GM of a football team, and I found out I get to do the draft at home, I would be super excited. I would just I'd have my boxer shorts on. 
and I would just be sitting there. My main concern would be that I would get too drunk to pick. Uh, I think it would be fun as hell to get to do that by yourself. I mean, I've been in enough fantasy leagues, and they're talking about the technology they're using, and 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 they're acting like this was so like well they have to use uh, they're going to use Microsoft. No, they were going to use Zoom, but it's not secure. So now they're going to use Microsoft Teams, and they have to all get it installed. It's like oh, this don't act like any of this shit is hard. Um, anybody who works at any office in the United States over the last four weeks has had to figure out how to use Teams. And if, you know, Gail from accounting can figure out how to do it, and she's probably by now figured out how to make the background those stupid balloons, I would hope that somebody in charge of a football team could could do the same thing. Um, but a couple things you know is going to happen is somebody, one of the GMs, really is going to get hammered, probably on Friday, and probably have, make the pick of their life. They'll be all relaxed and loose and fuck it. Let's take that guy and 20 years from now, how did he know to pick him? Well, he was nine Coors Lights deep when his time came around. And somebody is somebody's going to forget to turn auto-draft off and also have the draft of their life. Um, but they're talking about the, you know, they have news teams and Zoom and whatever else they're going to use. It's like, why didn't they just, they should, why didn't they just load everybody into the Yahoo draft client and do it that way? It's a pretty good one. That would seem to work. But they're somehow going to act like... That's all we're going to hear. Is also, and, they're gonna, and somebody's going to blame the technology on it. But we had, remember we had two years in a row where the Vikings got their picks up to the podium too late and got their turn skipped. And then teams were hurrying up and getting their picks turned in, so the Vikings were dropping like three and four and five spots before they get their pick in. If they could screw it up in a draft where all you had to do was write the fucking name on a card and hand it to somebody, of course the team is going to screw up the virtual thing. But that doesn't mean that it's the technology's fault. It's almost always operator error. Um, so some some interesting... That's probably not interesting. It'll be interesting for the first four minutes, and then we'll just be tired. ESPN and NFL Network are basically going to share the broadcast. Um, I don't know how they're going to do it. The It used to be that I watched NFL Network so that I could avoid Berman. And then Berman stopped doing it. Now I, I avoid the NFL Network so I don't have to listen to Dion. And it seems impossible now to be able to avoid Dion because he's going to be bleeding over. Into, no matter what you watch, you're going to get him. Um, Mel Kuyper Jr. will be on for the 40th year in a row, whatever it is. And he's going to be doing his own hair. So I'm very concerned about the ozone layer in whatever little suburban town in Maryland he lives in because... That thing has no chance. Um, so every year, there are a bunch of complete losers who sit and watch every minute of all seven rounds of the draft. And this year, that loser is going to be us. Because there's really nothing else to watch. Now, I'm not going to watch every minute. I'm going to watch as much of it as I can. Um, and the idea is I, I'm going to try to do running diaries of each night and put those on the newsletter so you can... You know, look forward to those or avoid them, whatever you want. I do think it's funny that the Bears, their needs going into the draft are offensive line, tight end, quarterback, defensive back. And this is always a good sign. They addressed every one of those positions in free agency, and they still need to address them. That's quality free agent maneuvering. When you filled your holes so inadequately, that you need to cram more bodies into the same holes. Um, 
So Ryan Pace was was bragging about his wonderful home setup, and he's got like seven monitors, two TVs, and he's got an iPad. And very exciting. And then his wife was vacuuming, <laughs> and she uh, somehow took out the whole setup. The thing he didn't tell us, which is a guarantee, is that his Floby was attached to that vacuum cleaner. Um, so then uh, the last question, I guess, is, you know, is the NFL season going to start on time? What are they going to do for an off season? And then when they play, are they going to play with fans? And it's, there's almost no chance that any sport is going to happen in the next <clears throat> probably 12 months, at least with fans in the stands. Um, when it comes to the NFL, it won't affect me at all. The last Bear game I went to was in 2005. Um, I watch every Bear game. I obsess over the Bears basically as much as I do with the Cubs. Uh, I just don't go because I just don't like the experience of going to an NFL game. It costs a shitload. It's impossible to get in and out of Soldier Field. Um, the game day experience is not great, but it's perfectly fine for me at home. I got a couple of a couple of big TVs set up down here in the basement. And I throw the red zone on one and the bears on another. And I thoroughly enjoy my Sundays not having to do any of that shit. My beer is better and it's cheaper. Uh, my food is better and it's cheaper. And one of the things, if I were the NFL, that I would really worry about is that the diehard season ticket holders who've never, ever considered not renewing spend an entire season at home spending the money they would have spent on their tickets to upgrade their their home theater systems going, shit, this is better. So I'll be really interested to see what, when everybody's finally back, if this, and not just the NFL, but I think the NFL more than the other sports, um, how it affects attendance. Because I think it's gonna. Uh, If you think the NFL is bad, um, college football is always worse because it has um, university presidents involved and boosters and college football coaches are even weirder than NFL coaches. Which seems incredible, but it's true. Um, so they're kicking around the ideas. If if the college campuses aren't open, the NCAA has said, if your campus isn't open for students, you can't play football. Um, or at least you can't play football and have anybody there. And I think it's you can't play football at all. So they've kicked around alternatives. One of them is, okay, let's shorten the season. We'll start it a little bit later, and we'll only play conference games. Um, another one is, um, and it goes without saying they're going to play without fans. But if you go to a mid-American conference school, that's pretty much every game. So they should have an advantage. Um, or moving the entire season to the spring, probably still having to have a shortened season, but starting it, and everybody's always starting in March, because March weather isn't any worse than November. Do we really need it that bad if you have to move it to the spring? I mean, I love, I like college football. I shouldn't say I love it. I like college football. It's fun to watch. Um, but if you took a year off and we had the NFL, I don't think I'd care that much. And honestly, you know what the NFL would do. If college couldn't play in the fall, the NFL is going to start playing Saturdays and Sundays. Um, just spread that schedule out to fill all the time. We're still going to play a football to watch. Um, 
And one of the things schools are complaining about, and they need to play because they need the TV revenue, but they actually get a fair, you know, especially the the Power Five conferences. <coughs> Excuse me. They make a fair amount of money off ticket sales and concessions, and obviously not going to get any of that. So, if they need a revenue source that they don't currently have, I've got five words for them: EA Sports, NCAA football. 21. Give them the license back, take a cut, and let them sell that puppy. And then we'll just play, we'll play our own college football seasons, and they can, we'll see them in the fall of 2021. It'll be fine. Um, so, w- one sport we haven't heard much from lately has been the NBA. They had gotten out in front, and they'd floated out these ideas. First, they were just going to keep playing games without fans, and then that obviously, Rudy Gobert kind of put a stop to that. Um, then it was, uh, we're just going to take a few weeks off and we're going to come back and we're going to finish the regular season, which they do not need to do, especially for Bulls fans. We don't ever need to see Jim Boylan again. And I do think it's hilarious that, uh, Cap came out and said, somebody said, well, why don't they just go ahead and fire Boylan now? You know, he's fired. He's like, who's going to coach the team if they have to come back? I don't know. Anybody else? Literally anyone else could coach that team other than Jim Boylan? Um... Then the idea was kicked around, all right, they're going to come back, um, probably just the playoffs, and play everything in Vegas. No fans, there's three decent-sized arenas that would have the other stuff that they need to play games in, Um, and they'll just just play them all out, we'll just watch them all on TV. And we haven't heard anything about that lately either, so we don't know where they are. Unlike baseball, who... We should be in, what, week three, week four, week three of the regular season. Baseball still has time on its side. The NFL obviously does. Uh, the NBA and the NHL are running out of time. Uh, the idea that they are going to be able to finish the season every week that the shelter-in-places aren't removed makes it that much less likely that they're going to, to finish. But they, they aren't out of time yet. Um, Carolyn Goodman, the crazy... Uh, mayor of Vegas, the wife of uh, Oscar Goodman, who was the crazy mayor of Vegas before her, um, is now running on every talk show that will have her saying that uh, Las Vegas should just open back up and open up all the casinos, uh, which seems like the worst idea possible. There's nothing more germy (coughs) than a Las Vegas casino. Well, I guess there is. uh, Reno Casino. And... um, but I think, I'm going to give her credit, where credit is probably not due. Um, I think she wants to open everything up, spread COVID all over town, in her own warped mind, kill off all the weak ones, and then the NBA can come in. We've already taken care of it. Everybody in Vegas has had it. Um, now you guys can come play. And then it also won't uh, interfere, God forbid, with the opening of the uh, first football season of the Las Vegas Raiders. So I, I don't know what the NBA is planning. That Vegas plan actually does seem like the best solution. Although I guess it wouldn't have to be in Vegas. They could do it in L.A. They could do it. They could find a state where things seem to be more under control and do it there. But one thing that I just, I laughed to myself. I was listening to a Bill Simmons podcast while I was running. Um... I find it motivates me to run faster because then it's over sooner. 
Um, and he was on with Ryan Rosillo, and they were talking about playing NBA games without fans, and he said he didn't think he'd want to watch it. And even Rosillo was like, what the fuck are you talking about? You, of all people, of course, you're going to watch every minute of it. He said, well, it's not going to be the same. No, it's not going to be the same, but it's better than what we've got right now, which is nothing. Um, then again, this is the same Bill Simmons who just bought uh, a house in L.A. for $16 million. We found it on Realtor.com, and it was listed at 6 So that's some savvy negotiating. Um, but it's a weird... It's a weird-looking house. And I guarantee you that his the realtor told him that, oh, this used to be the Chateau Marmont, even though the Chateau Marmont is still there. He said, well, i got to have it. So he bought it, and he's running it with all his kids. And he's like, hey, Ben, come here. This can be your room. This is the room where John Belushi overdosed. Um, the other weird thing about Carolyn Goodman, well, there's a lot of weird things about Carolyn Goodman. Here she is. She's out going on TV, and she's talking about it about opening Vegas back up. And I didn't realize this until today, because why would I know the politics and geography of Las Vegas? The city of Las Vegas is only a tiny part of the Strip. The rest of the Strip is Clark County. It's not city limits of Las Vegas. And the commissioners of Clark County are like, yeah, we're not opening. So knock it off. Which makes it all the weirder. Uh, A couple last things I want to talk about. Um wrote a long thing about The Last Dance, so if you don't subscribe to the Pointless Exercise newsletter, you really should. Um, I'll put a link to it, and you can go ahead and do it. But you can also go to pointlessexercise. All, all two words run together. Pointlessexercise.substack.com And you can sign up for it there. Um, but like the rest of Chicago sports fans, and a lot of sports fans around the country... Uh, watched The Last Dance, the first two episodes of it, on uh, Sunday night. It was, I thought it was tremendous. I, Unlike the Ryan Dempster show, I had very high expectations, and I think it met all of them. And from what I have heard, it is the these were the two kind of the table-setter episodes, makes sense. They're actually the weakest of the ten. So if you like these two, which it did, apparently it only gets better from here, which is great. Uh, I only had one complaint about The Last Dance. It's just, I think everybody had the same complaint, I would assume. Not enough Judd Bushler. Um, and the one thing, I was, as I was making notes as I was going along, they mentioned the eight, the 84 Bulls that Michael went to play for. And Rod Thorne said, we weren't very good. And I wrote immediately typed next to that, um, yeah, but you guys could really do coke. And then it wasn't very much longer that the, one of the interviewers said, you could hear them yelling off camera to Michael that they, people called that Bulls team the traveling cocaine circus. <laughs> Which, if you know anything about those early 80s Bulls, it's probably an understatement. Um, that was quite a group. Uh, Quentin Daly, rest in peace. Um, Orlando Woolridge, David Greenwood was on that team. He was still there. He was he was the consolation prize when the, when the Bulls lost the coin flip and didn't get Magic Johnson. Ugh. Juwan Oldham was on that team. As a kid, I loved Juwan Oldham only because I just thought that was the weirdest, coolest name ever. Uh, Wes Matthews Sr. Uh, was on that team. Uh, Ennis Watley. Dave Corzine, although that was post-Afro Dave Corzine, so not quite the same. And Dave stuck around for quite a while. Caldwell Jones. Sidney Green had been a rookie the year before. Um, they had gotten rid of Reggie Theus. And then I, 
the way they did the editing was great. Um, Michael did the whole thing about he, one of the first road trips, maybe the first road trip. He's you know he's fresh rookie out of nineteen year. Well, he was probably he was probably twenty one by then. He three years at Carolina. Um, rookie in a hotel looking for his teammates. Knocks on the door, and all he hears is a lot of whispering. He's like, who is it? I'm like, it's Michael. And like, oh, and you could. They're trying to figure out whether they should let him in or not, and then they do. And he's like, you go in here, and there's lines of cocaine over here. There's guys smoking dope over here, and there's women lined up, <laughs> lined up over here. So they talk about that. Then they immediately cut to Rod Higgins, who was sitting. You know, it, it had this weird angle for Rod. Like he was sitting on a stool in his hallway, um, and Rod basically saying without saying, "I wasn't there either." Wink, wink. Um, and that he was the Rod. Rod made two two guys made really smart decisions early on with Michael. Rod Higgins immediately attached himself to him, became his buddy, and it's kept him gainfully employed for a very long time. And Ahmad Rashad, Ahmad got in with Michael. He's still Michael's best friend. Um, a couple of years, you know, because they've been showing all these replays of games. They uh, watched the end of Villanova, Carolina the national championship game, the one where um, it ends on the uh, it ends on the buzzer beater by the guy from Villanova. And when Marcus Page makes that weird double clutch three-pointer um, to tie it with just a few seconds left, they show Jordan's there, and he's in decked out in Carolina blue, jumping up and down, and if you look right next to him, it's Ahmad. <laughs> I'm like, of course Ahmad is there. Why wouldn't Ahmad be there? Um, but Ahmad became MJ's go-to media guy early on. Um, so if you think about the early days of NBA inside stuff, Ahmad becomes MJ's best friend. That ends up making him millions of dollars in his career. And then Will Obey, the other co-host, marries Bob Iger, the guy who's in charge of Disney, who's about to retire, although he's watching the Disney stock price plummet, um, she also did pretty well for herself. Um, it, the most the most interesting parts of the two episodes, the in the first one it was Michael breaking his foot in his the third game of his second season, and convincing that the he's so bored sitting around, convincing the team to let him go back to Carolina to you know uh, finish up his geography degree, and all he really did was go back to campus and play basketball every day, which was probably not the smartest thing in the world. He comes back, he tells the Bulls, I'm ready to go, I've been playing 5-on-5, five five, which they had bought crap their pants, because he wasn't supposed to be doing that. And they should have said, no, we're not playing it this year. We're going we're gonna to let that thing heal, there's nothing. Even if we make the playoffs, we're going to be the 8th seed, and we get the Celtics. And of course, it was 1986, so, you know, maybe the best Celtics team of all time. And they've had a few good ones. Um... And they tried to say no to him, and he's Michael. And finally, they came up with they just completely arbitrary number. Uh, how about seven minutes and a half? <laughs> so if you can play him seven minutes, you can play him, or just don't play him at all. They, they should not have played him, but they did. Um, they upped it a little bit, and um, the great scene in there—the one of the last, maybe the last game. Of the, I don't think it was one of the last games of the season at um, Market Square Arena against the Pacers. And Michael runs, his time runs out with 31 seconds left in the game, and 
the Bulls are down by a point, and Stan Albeck, um, who the documentary didn't do his perm justice. Um, and this is interesting, too. So Stan Albeck coached at Bradley. Dick Versace coached at Bradley. And then Jim Molinari coached at Bradley. Molinari, very likely the best of the three coaches, had the least amount of success. And I think it's because he didn't have cool hair like Stan and Dick. Um, Stan is basically, I, if he leaves Michael in, he gets fired. And he takes Michael out, he gets michael And he decided he'd rather keep his job. But Johnny Pax makes a wild shot, and Bulls win, make the playoffs, get the Celtics. Michael scores 49 in the first game. They lose. Second game, he has one of the most infamous games in playoff history. He goes for 63 in double overtime. And so I looked up the box score because I just want to see. And he scored 63 points on 41 shots. That's, you know, that's not like Kobe scoring 60 in his last game on 87 shots or whatever he took. That's pretty good. But this jumped out at me. Orlando Warriors scored 24 points in that game on 27 shots. <laughs> The game when Michael Jordan puts up 63 points, Orlando Woolridge still managed to take 27 fucking shots. That's Orlando Woolridge to a T. Most interesting part of the second episode was the stuff on Scotty. Which I did find it was weird that they went back and we got so much more Michael backstory, but it's fine, because it's entertaining as hell, so I had no problem with it. Um, You know, got to hear about Scotty. You know, one of 12 kids... His dad was in a wheelchair. One of his older brothers was in a wheelchair. It was all of it setting up as to why he would sign that terrible contract in 1991. And it was for, what, $18 million. Seven years, $18 million. Um, at the time, though, it if you looked at the comparisons, he only made a little bit less than Michael most of those years. And then where the big discrepancy came in was when Michael came back from his retirement, um... Those last two years, he got more than $30 million. So that obviously pushed him much higher than Scotty. But the whole thing about the family backstory was, A, it was interesting. And the fact we'd heard the stuff, you know, he was a, he went to Central Arkansas, but he wasn't even on scholarship. He was a ball boy. A bunch of guys got academically ineligible. They gave Scotty a scholarship. Scotty grows like six inches between his freshman and sophomore years and just starts dunking on everybody and became the amazing basketball player that we got to enjoy with the Bulls all those years. Um... The thing that's always made me mad, and Jerry said it on the documentary, there's Reinsdorf going, well, I told Scotty not to sign the contract. I said, well, you know what, that's bullshit. If you were so, oh, this is such a terrible contract, why wouldn't you do right by your player and go, here's a better one? You know, still save yourself a little money, because if the guy is willing to sign for less, but don't screw him over. They screwed him over, and then they continued to screw him over every year for the next seven years. They refused. They made up a bullshit. Oh, I only we only negotiate, renegotiate contracts with uh, two years or less left on him. And the reason he said that was because there were three years left on it. I mean, Jerry Reinsdorf said, "Dick, let's not pretend that he's not." And all this stuff about blaming Kraus for all this stuff. Jerry, Jerry Kraus was as was an asshole, and nobody liked him, and it was a big problem. Um, he had no people skills, and as general manager, part of your job has to be to have those. Um, but, you know, Reinsdorf was more than happy to let Krauss be the bad guy all the time. So he shouldn't be absolved of any of this mess. So then we get to the the setup for the final season, and Scotty needed foot surgery, 
right after the the first finals against Utah and didn't do it. And he waited, and then he waited until just before the season started, and then he had it. And Michael, obviously not happy about it, partially because Michael wanted to win every game that he possibly could, and two, Michael had to shoulder a heavier load, not having Scotty for the first couple months. But Scotty had the he had the two best lines in the whole episode. The first one was they asked him why he waited, and he said. I wasn't going to fuck up my offseason with rehab, which was terrific. And then Phil put it into really good context, because Phil had had the same battles with Reinsdorf and Krauss that Scotty had, except he had more leverage. His contract was up after the fifth title and got paid for that final season because they needed him. Um, they asked Phil if he was mad that Scotty waited, and Phil's like, no, that was fine. Scotty was... You know, by having to sit out, Scotty was basically saying, "If you're going to pay me this much money, I'm only going to pay this. Ma- I'm only going to play this many games." Um, which is another window as to why, um, you know, I as I like I wrote in the thing, Phil's a weirdo, a great coach, but a weirdo. But there's a reason his players, especially his best players, all really liked him, and that's why he understood things on a level that most coaches would wouldn't be able to let go. And Phil could. Um, so I love the fact that Phil really didn't mind. And then what's coming up this weekend, we're going to get the, you know, there's very little Dennis Rodman in the first couple, which was fine because, you know, I know this is about the final season, but really we, we needed the first two episodes to be about the guys who won six titles. Dennis was there for the, for the last three. And then we can get into all the pathos of the Bulls running into the Pistons for those years before they finally won. And, you know, Dennis and Bill Ambeer and Rick Mahorn and Isaiah Thomas and all those assholes. Um, you know, we get to deal, we get to go through that again. And that's a good way to kind of insert Dennis into the thing. The thing you're going to find out is that as crazy as Dennis was, his teammates with the Bulls liked him. Um, around them, most of the time, he was quiet. He just did his job. He was a very smart player. Not the most reliable guy as far as showing up on time or to things. But when there was a big game, Dennis was going to be there. And Dennis was going to bust his ass. And yes, he was crazy and all the weird stuff with the hair and the tattoos and taking his shirt off and throwing it in the stands and sometimes forgetting to wait until the game is over to do it. All that stuff is true, but I think you're going to find that there was a reason the Bulls were able to tolerate him for those three years. Because for the most part, they liked him. And they needed him. Um, they always hoped he wouldn't snap at just the wrong time, and he basically didn't. <laughs> he did kick a photographer and a couple other things, but for the most part, he kept it together. So I think those will be interesting because you know if if the series needs a bad guy, it gets it gets twelve of them in the Pistons. Although a bunch of those guys ended up getting rings with the Bulls, you know, Boot Edwards and John Sally and Dennis, you know, cor- uh, what a quarter of that team has rings from both the Pistons and the Bulls. So that's kind of crazy. Um, I'll put out a plug for another newsletter on the same thing, Substack. And that's our old buddy Kelly Dwyer and his, um, his the second arrangement. Uh, so it's at tsa.substack.com. He's been at this a lot longer than I have. And right before his first season started, there wasn't a terrible virus that was threatened to kill the world. So he was able to actually turn the paywall on 
is <laughs> on time, so it does cost money. Um, but it's a great uh, it's a great site, and he he has incredible insight into those Bulls teams. And um, we were both during the times of these teams, we were both being paid to write about them. So I'm going to try to get him on one. Of the, he's a guy that I on Sunday night I thought, oh, I better call Kelly and see if he wants to be on the podcast, and I didn't bother to do it. So maybe next week. I'm sure he's getting getting a lot of requests, but we'll try to get Kelly on to talk about this stuff. Um, okay, so the last thing I want to talk about, God, I've talked for Babylon for an hour and eight minutes. Um, I like to do streaming recommendations at the end of this, and I've got a good one for you, and it's a very easy watch because it's, it's only three seasons, only six episodes long. Episodes are only 20 minutes long. Uh, it's a British comedy. It's called The Inbetweeners. It's about these four loser kids <laughs> who are in, uh, they're in their final two years of high school. It's kind of, they're like in college prep kind of courses at a, at a high school. The one kid, the, the kid that narrates the thing, grew up in kind of a rich family, but his, his dad ran off with his secretary and the mom and the kid end up moving, downsizing. He has to go to public school. And it's these four kids are endearingly dopey. They're horribly profane. All they think about and talk about is sex. And everything that happens to them is horribly awkward and really funny. And you can breeze through it in just a couple of days. And when you finish the series, if it turned out you actually liked it, I thought it was very funny. They actually did two movies. The series is like 10 years old. And then they did a couple of movies, Inbetweeners and Inbetweeners 2, the uh, series streams on Netflix, and then the two movies are both on Amazon Prime. Inbetweeners, if you have Prime Video, is free. Inbetweeners 2, you have to rent for like three bucks. Um, just work your way through it. I thought it was really funny. Um, so again, um, if you haven't signed up yet for the newsletter, go ahead and sign up for it. I'll put a link to it if you're on uh, if you're on Decipio looking at this. Otherwise, just go to pointlessexercise.substack.com. And coming up, uh, I'm going to do Running Diaries during the draft, and then I'll do another uh, Running Diary recap of The Last Dance. And hopefully we're going to get more news about baseball, and we can start to, to figure that out. So anyway, thanks for listening. I missed you guys. It was good to be back, and we'll do more of these. Um, obviously not as frequently as we will do when sports are actually around, but... Uh, but there will be more. So uh, thanks a lot, and I'll see you guys later.